Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another edition of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. I'm Ross LeCain. I'm privileged to have a, a guest. I've got uh, Theo Chambers from Shaw Financial looking flash on the set there. Uh, Theo, welcome. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been named as the best independent brokerage, you know, a number of years. And, you know, that's quite a title. So I'm keen to uh, unpack for the listeners today, you know, what's led you to be the number one independent brokerage in the country? I know you've won numerous awards. You're constantly named in the top 10 and top 25 brokerages in the country, but keen to unpack it and keen to learn a bit more about your story. So tell me how you got started uh, in the industry. So, yeah, there's probably not one thing that that um, we can attribute it all to, um, multiple things along the way, but where did it all start? Um, well, for me personally, actually, it started at ComBank. I, I was a um, a uh, customer service specialist. CSS was the role at, at ComBank um, in the Manly branch. I was in the ComBank retail network for three years. That's where I got my first taste of lending. Um, I, I originally wanted to be a branch manager, actually. And, <laughs> um, and then I had done some um, sales work previously, and I liked the uh, structure or the incentive of... of um, you know, getting out what you put in, you know, having commissions and something tied to performance and results and, and work. Um, at ComBank, I didn't quite, you know, felt like got out what I put in. And then uh, um, ironically, when I bought my first property, I actually used a um, mortgage broker, even though I was a lending specialist at CBA. I went through a broker who got me a better deal and a and a, a stronger borrowing power. And then I realized I'm on the wrong side of the fence here. And that broker actually offered me a job and rest is history. That's how I joined the broking network. Ah, interesting. So how long ago was that? How long ago did you buy your first property? I bought my first property in 2009. I didn't actually join in 2009. I joined in 2010 because I I was one of those guys at CBA that used to actually rag brokers. <laughs> I was one of the ones that would say, oh, don't use a broker. You know, they're dodgy, blah, blah, blah. Um, just the, I think the culture of the the, the, the banking system, you're always um, ragging your competitors almost sometimes. And and I didn't, you know, jump across straight away. It took probably six six months of procrastinating and, and um, sort of contemplating the, the concepts. And then eventually it just, I just went, you know what? I'm, I'm, I want to be on the other side of the fence. You rag the brokers, but you actually used a broker, right? Yeah, so. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I used a broker in the same concept that we um, end up forming a, a, a business around. So what I mean by that is that, um, so I joined a McGrath's uh, finance business, Oxygen Home Loans, and um, I, I got put in touch with that broker because my friend was a real estate agent who said, why don't you speak to this guy? He'll be able to help you. Um, and the, that's that person being someone in, in his team at, at, at McGrath. And I formed a close, close relationship with that broker over a period of time. It really did hold my hand. And out of in the whole house hunting process, you know, for me being a first home buyer back then at a fairly young age, I really needed some um, handholding. You know, I really, you know, was unaware of the whole process and how everything worked even from just putting a deposit down on something right and i found the broker was the most valuable um person in the process to educate me and get me there um and which was inspiring right which actually made me you know feel like i could be that person so um you know six months later i was like wow that broker is doing a lot more for me than i'm doing as a lending specialist cba for my customers you know oh. So true. And, you know, that is inspiring, right? You've, you've created your whole business model around an experience that you experienced in buying at your first home. And the value, you were able to see the value 
that that broker was providing beyond the transaction in helping you, obviously, in every step that that meant, because you had no idea at that point in time in terms of, you know, what to do or how to do it. And I think a lot of brokers, you know, miss that opportunity, right, in terms of how valuable they are, whether it's to be a first-time buyer like you were, or to create value for like a serial property investor. I think, you know, the position that we're in, we are very lucky and, you know, clients open up their their full financial position and we have uh, a a real opportunity to add value. And, you know, the fact that you created a business model of your experience, I think is really cool. Mm, Yeah, I did value little things like just the patience that broker had for my endless questions. (laughs) You know, I feel like, when you walk into a branch to speak to a lending specialist, or that that was the mm. etiquette you could say back then, um, that that patience isn't there because there's a, normally a queue of people waiting, or there's a lot of things going on, um, and you, you you can't just quickly call them on the mobile and ask a few more questions later, you know. Um, whereas that relationship with my broker, it was just a, you know a, a, a mobile phone call at any any point, any time for any question I had, which was very very valuable to me at that time. Yeah, awesome. All right, so that's the start. That's when you got started. And who did you, um, so you started with McGrath and started with Oxygen mm. in their broking team. So how did the journey eventuate from there? So I um, met a uh, uh, former colleague, or not former, but a colleague at the time um, at uh, McGrath being Alex Knocker, my, my business partner today. We just saw eye to eye. We are on the same page. I, I think we had the same you know, level of work ethic. We, um, you know, wanted to to go above and beyond some of the things our peers were doing, um, and we we sort of connected on a, on a, in a commercial way, and you know, in a, in a relationship, trust, sort of friendship way, but also in a commercial way. And um, we we thought, you know, why don't we replicate this this um, synergy that we feel that's working so well that we've created with real estate agents um, because the concept of working with real estate agents for, you know, homeowner referrals. That's not a new concept. That was, we weren't reinventing the wheel, but we felt our approach was a bit bit more new age. We felt the way we went about it um, and the service that we provided and the understanding that we had toward their business. Um, I feel like a lot of brokers go out there and just randomly call agents for business with, you know, a lack of understanding maybe of how their day-to-day actually um, works, especially, you know, newer, um, greener brokers that are just entering the industry. Um, you know, you, you need to come in um, to a relationship like that with something to offer of value. And that can't just be a referral fee, right? It's got to be something that will benefit their day-to-day. Alex and I thought we had that. We nailed it. It was a winning formula for the years that we were at, at McGrath. And then we just basically replicated it to be an offering for the marketplace. And that's how Shore Financial was born. It was a, a real estate brokerage aimed at tailoring a service into, or integrating a service, I should say, into real estate groups that complements that business on a daily basis, complements the real estate agent and the real estate business on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. And there's, you know, some really, if I was to unpack, you know, what I heard there, I think there's some important things, right? So, the, the first thing is value, adding value beyond the transaction and beyond the referral fee. And Spot on. an expert in your referral partner's business, understand what they go through, understand their challenges, understand what their day looks and how you can add value to make their lives easier mm. beyond that you know, fee. Because if you can feed on fee, um, you know, just like if you compete on rate, right? As soon as someone gets a better fee or you you or a better rate, you've lost that client or you've lost mm. that referral partner, right? So mm. how can you deeply be an expert and understand their business? And then obviously be able to create a business model that markets to those businesses so you can come with a fresher approach to get more business. So that's how sort of sure financial was born. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We made sure that we also recognize the different individuals in a, in a business. So in a, let's say our referral relationships are referring to in a real estate office, you know, there's the up and coming agents that they do care about the 
um, referral fees and they're the ones on the phone more and they're the ones that you want to be training with certain dialogues, you know, um, uh, recommend our services in a certain way. Um, the more established individual, they don't care about the, the the money. They care about the speed, the efficiency, the service, the honesty and the trust. You know, that's a big one. Um, trust is something that in, especially in a in a sales um, business like real estate, uh, it's it's because there's already a lack of trust between the consumer and the agent. It can sometimes ripple on to whatever third party they might be using as well themselves because it's it's what they're used to in their daily activities, right? Um, so establishing that trust is 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 hard to do initial initially, but once established, it's crucial. It's um it can open up the door to you know accessing a, a huge opportunity of data, um, which you know most agents don't like giving out their data, but once you can, that's a that's a um, huge opportunity to tap into, and in all aspects of their business. Yeah, exactly, and that data. You know, if, I know we did multiple, um, when I was a broker, we did multiple joint ventures with real estate agent partners where you know, their list of um, property um, investors who they do property management for, right? And so mm -hmm. it's a great list, a great way to co-market and sort of do joint seminars with those lists. I've heard of, um, you know, brokers adding value to, real estate agents by getting the open house lists and mm. calling on behalf of it's a job that no one likes doing, but mm. obviously it's a job that needs to be done, calling, following mm. up, getting the feedback and then offering their finance services. So, I mean, there's so, if there's that level of trust there, there's so many commonalities between brokers and real estates mm. that we can sort of literally leverage, isn't there? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, uh, uh every person in a real estate business is dealing with someone that, they, that either has or is going to need a home loan, um, whether it's the landlord that has the home loan or the buyer that, that is going to need one or the vendor the vendor that's going to need one once they sell. Um, you know, there's every uh, conversation they're having is with someone that, that needs our services. It's about just getting in at the right time. You know, to your point, those two um, opportunities, you know, calling um, open for inspection list buyers that come through open homes and um, calling them on behalf of the, the uh, agent or getting the agent to recommend your services or calling the landlords. They're two practices which, you know, we were touching on this the other day, uh, Ross, but um, some things you can't keep doing the same way over an extended period of time because of changes in behaviour. Uh, I mean, consumer behaviour and mm -hmm. We found those two um, activities or initiatives very rewarding five to 10 years ago, you know, cold calling buyers and, and cold calling landlords. However, I feel not just in our industry, but in every industry, uh, cold calling and marketing people online has become so saturated that the average consumer is sick of it. <laughs> mm. So you've got to sort of stay relevant and change with the time and think of new ways to approach this data or these opportunities mm. and, and have you got any examples that you're willing to share at this point in terms of well know, what... something i learned actually off a fellow competitor i've learned a lot of um, friendly competitors um, in our early days we had you know um jeremy fisher otto dargan uh, justin dubov many many of the industry leading um, sort of competitors come in and 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 share things to the team but um otto with home loan experts had some very um uh, interesting content and in, an interesting approach to how he, you know, built his business, um, which was uh, content it's in the sense of um, educational content, you know, and um, we have, we always had a little bit of educational content, but uh, these days we're now um, focusing on bringing in customers off the back of educating them. Um, so with our you know, podcasts, for example, um, uh, blog posts, newsletters, um, webinars, um, you know, property reports where you can download uh, a copy of the report if you give your um, contact details, things like that. Um, there's not one thing that works forever. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the online users are um, e extremely sort of aware in the sense that you need to constantly change. If Even if a, an ad that you're running is successful, it will only be successful for a certain period of time 
before someone, before not someone, but before the marketplace gets sick of seeing the ad and stops interacting with it, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to constantly make sure your content online is ever-changing so it looks fresh and new and interesting on an ongoing basis, which is a full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a full-time job for, for, you know, probably several people in your business if that's your if that's your approach, if that's what you want to achieve. Um, but personally, that's how I find um how we've found the best way to to you know, interact with clients and consumers these days new business i should say yeah so it's it's around meeting clients where they're at right and if mm. you look at you know all you need to do is go to a local train station or mm. uh, you know walk around and people have got their head buried in a device right um, spot on and you're trying to pay to get to feature somewhere on that device. That's how the world operates these days, right? It's it's screen time, mm. whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Google, whatever, or, or, or a um, real estate platform. Mm. People are just paying to get their brand and their comment and their one line, their one sentence to hook you in, in front of you at some point on your device. And I, my point is that I feel like that one line, that one hook that you're going to use to try and grab their attention on that device it should be educational. Don't try and sell them something. You know, there's, you know, if you, to your point about interest rates, you you, you try and throw a, a low rate on someone you know, um, online, you'll probably lose them to a, a low rate later. You know, um, I don't feel like selling on a rate is the way to, to bring someone into your business. Mm, exactly right. It's, uh, you know, I love what you're saying around leading with education, right? Leading with education, opening the doors, letting that be, um, letting that be the vehicle that sort of drives people to your door, right? So the more I heard something the other day that they have to, you know, consume um, something like uh, I don't know, for seven pieces or seven ounces of your content before they're willing to open up and do business with you, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting just how we sort of do that and, you know, how you go about nurturing that and using that data within your um, within your business. So you started uh, the business and it was you and Alex and you were doing, I think I saw something you were doing like about five mil a month. So when did it change and you say, okay, we're going to obviously grow something? Um you know, do you remember that sort of point in time where you made that decision that, hey, we want to create something pretty pretty large? I was always a bit of an, uh, quite an ambitious person, my person, person myself. Um, I, uh, I just had big dreams. You know, I liked the idea of, I had a, a family who, you know, ran, um, you know, their own businesses and, and they built big businesses. And it was, I was inspired from a young age to do something like that myself. Mm -hmm. Um I, I even when I was starting at McGrath, I I, I felt um, you know like it was a, a a big picture type journey. Even we were hoping to do something big for John McGrath. We approached him initially, and and we're trying to you know help take over and change that business because we felt it was a bit asleep at the wheel at the time. Um, we couldn't uh, negotiate terms with him at the time and ended up um, leaving to to start a, an, a newborn brand, which sounded actually better. Um, it was more attractive to create our own brand, have our own rules, have more control, obviously. Um, and yeah, from, from day one, we, we had the goal of making this a, a you know, industry leading brand from day one, you know, we had a, a big picture vision. You know, we, we wanted something that was not going to be like all the um, pre-existing mortgage businesses at that point in time. Uh, we felt that the that market or that synergy between um, real estate agents and, and mortgage brokers, um, businesses operating in that space of that synergy, there wasn't really someone nailing it, in our opinion, Um you know, there's obviously groups like loan market and whatnot that have become so big that become aggregators. We wanted to stay um, more like a um, boutique, you know, operation at the time servicing Sydney, where individuals still feel like they have a relationship with individuals in our business, you know, rather than a, a, a huge publicly listed organisation as such. Love it, love it. And so you mentioned a couple of things there. So how important do you think is 
sort of having that vision and staying true to the vision. I know there's a lot of chaos that we go through from day to day in a mortgage business. So how important yeah. do you feel like having that vision for what you want to create is? Well, there's two elements to that comment, actually. So having a vision and believing in yourself is obviously very, very crucial, right? Like you're only going to achieve what you believe that you can achieve. If you believe something is possible, you'll hopefully achieve it. If you don't believe it's possible and you're obviously never going to achieve it because you're not going to try. Um, so self-belief and, and and having big um, big dreams or big visions definitely I feel like is crucial. However, to the contrary, making sure you're not stubborn in some of those initial plans. <laughs> um, you know, over time, things change. Over time, the course and the, the, the direction of the business um, might drastically change. You might pivot completely and use an opportunity that you, you had going this way to all of a sudden, you know, uh, vertically or horizontally integrate to go to a completely different direction, right? Um, but uh, as long as you're aware of market changes and opportunities that in, the, in your business um, and you, you don't stay stubborn to a certain um, beliefs or, or, or objectives um yeah I, I think it is it is crucial to to have that that big picture vision as such yeah. and you mentioned you know your family and you know your family has that success and um in terms of business and has achieved that so do you you know obviously speak with your your family around sort of advice and do they do you often share what you're going through in your business? Uh, with your family is it something that's sort of spoken about um yes and no initially my my family didn't quite understand how this business um operated especially when I um to the sense of having a commission only business I remember you know in the first few years we had call it 15 20 brokers um within about maybe call it three years and my father just said yeah Theodore, as is what he called me in his Greek accent, but Theodore, I don't understand how you have 15, 20 people working for you, but you don't pay them anything. He <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't understand how you get people to come to work without paying them to be there um, because it's a commission-only model. And uh, then I had to basically uh, um, explain that we, we have to convince these people to come to work by giving them opportunity and resources to support them in their day-to-day. And that just was a concept that he couldn't really quite fathom. But there was definitely some principles, you know, along the way. Like my father ran a really basic um, liquor retail business, right? Nothing nothing sort of um, revolutionary about it. But, you know, the, his principles of just continuity and hard work um, and, you know, just sticking to the, to the same project long term. You know, and I, I remember asking one thing at one time, like when I was like fresh out of university, everyone used to always go on about um, being passionate about what you do. And if you're not passionate, you won't be successful at what you do. And I remember looking at my old man and thinking, well, he, he's not passionate about liquor. You know, he drinks cask wine and clean skins <laughs> and he gets angry if I'm opening something that's worth 30, 40 bucks a bottle, right? He thinks it's a ripoff. I'm like, how are you a liquor retailer if you hate your uh, your wine? And he's like, I'm not passionate about wine. I'm passionate about the business and trying to make something work out of it. And something so simple like that um, stuck with me at a young age. And I sort of applied that um, to home loans. You know, I, I when I got into home loans, was I was I passionate about servicing calculators? Was I passionate about policy? Was I passionate passionate about the end-to-end process of home loans? No, but I was really passionate about business. I was I was passionate about growing something that not only helped consumers, because as a broker, I really um, valued helping consumers in their property journey in, in the same way, like I said, that that I, I felt value, value out of my relationship with my broker initially. Um, I, I love seeing clients create wealth through property long-term. When you see your client come back to you years later, and their property's worth more and they're going again and they're having a family and now they can buy a family home. I found that extremely fulfilling and rewarding, um, especially if you feel like you've somewhat helped them to get there. Um, and then 
I was also passionate about seeing brokers in the team succeed. I love seeing brokers come to us at a young age and, you know, they they couldn't really have um, two pennies to rub together to buy themselves lunch or something. And then, you know, four or five years later, they're buying their their um, uh, their family home. They're getting married and having children. And, and the, the journey of becoming a broker has changed their life, right? Um, they're the things that sort of drove me. Love it. So you took, you know, from from your father the passion for the business. And again, I think that's important in terms of when you think about your wine, you think about the vision. It's not so much about the widget, which is the transaction, which is the home loan, which is the technical element. It's what that can do for somebody. And it's, you know, similar to your dad. He wasn't passionate about wine, but he was passionate about creating something bigger than himself and, and creating that sort of business. So is he proud of what you've achieved now? Yeah, but it, uh, like a typical Greek father, he's still a bit of a perfectionist critiquing, you know, um, everything I'm, I'm doing. He, he makes sure, um, valid points sometimes, he comes in in the morning um, to, to have a coffee. He was actually here this morning having a coffee with me. And he, he said, do you make sure you say hello to every single staff member in the morning? You've got to make sure you greet every single person and how they and ask how they are. Like, you know, I, I sometimes I'm guilty maybe not greeting every single person before 9 a.m. You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> the little things like that he's still critiquing. But yeah, of course he's proud. Yeah, awesome. Uh it's that's a great story and just something so simple, right? Just, you know, treating staff like they're more like volunteers rather than they're they have to be there and just the yeah. niceties, um, you know, of someone who's been super successful. How good's that, right? Love it. Love it. All right. So in terms of um, we've spoken, you know, about the vision, we've spoken about you sort of getting started and, you know, what you, that vision in terms of what you wanted to create. I guess what comes next is obviously getting people in that share that vision and can help you along the way. So tell, tell me about, you know, the culture that you've created and the people that have helped you sort of get where Shore is today. Well, I feel like with every success story, there, there, um, there is definitely a little bit of luck, right? And to your point there, we had a bit of luck of um, hiring the right people in our early days, um, mainly being all my best friends, which had, had its pros and cons. Um, it it was a great fun place to work because we were all friends just wanting to help each other um you know one team one dream type mentality which became a, a um, systemic you know sort of culture to to the next generation of um uh, uh, brokers that join everyone had to make sure that you help the person next to you you know everyone wanted to see each other succeed there was a bit of competition but in a healthy way you know we never fight each other for, for business but um, we'd, we'd, we'd always make sure the person next to you is is you know knowing what they're doing and representing the brand to their to their, their best capabilities um, but that first wave of of individuals um, was a bit of luck you know they they were hungry um, hard-working um, passionate individuals themselves um, and you know the, I don't feel like a lot of over the years we've interviewed and had a lot of brokers that have joined us that have been smart individuals and capable individuals and people with um, glowing resumes and glowing experience. But the one thing that really is the make or break in, in our model, especially being the contractor self-employed model, um, the one thing that you need the most is work ethic, right? And that's something you can't really teach, um, in my opinion. I feel like you're either you're born with it or born without it. And you can't really easily interview for it either. You know, you can't really feel someone's work ethic out um, that easily in an interview. Um, but we were lucky that, you know, call it the the first 80% um, of the brokers we hired had a really great work ethic. Um, it probably did ripple on to others and did influence others to to, to work harder than they previously had in, in, in previous occupations. But going back to my point of how I felt at ComBank, that was a similar thing that I felt out of my whole generation of friends and my my group of friends. They were all in corporate jobs where they didn't feel like they were getting out what they were putting in in terms of um, effort, you know, and, and financial reward. Um, the best thing about broking, if you in a in a commission only environment, 
you you really can get out what you put in. So the person that is a hungry individual, it's very suited to that individual, and it will they will they will flourish. Um, and so we we had that in the other days, which which made a big difference. All right. So in terms of looking back, in terms of hiring friends and doing that time over again, would you do it the same way? Yeah, I, I would because it was also just it was great memories. I, I remember at the time thinking, are we going to look back to this time and 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 think this was these were the good old days? <laughs> you know, uh, it was that famous saying that everybody always talks about. And it was exactly that. It was the good old days. It was, we're all also in our, you know, mid twenties, um, mid to late twenties and working hard, not having sort of um, families to worry about, uh, partners and children to worry about, you know, it was just about getting established in a career. That's all that mattered, right? The, the going to work every day, feeling, feeling fresh and um, making sure that you're focused at work on a daily basis. That, that was it. That was the priority, but um, as as you know, people started having families, and people started getting to their thirties. You start thinking uh, long term about um, you know your own career more in terms of should I be starting my own business? Should I be working for Theo and Alex our whole lives? Um, and then you know that that shift of the long term um, agenda for every individual then sort of shifts the culture of the business. It's not about us all just succeeding as individuals in one business, everybody starts thinking about themselves more long-term, um, which, yeah, look, it was a rocky road for, for a couple of years as, as we went through that transition of people deciding to do their own things. But would I change it and go, go back in time and, and change it? No, I probably wouldn't because it was, they helped us, we helped them, and it was a fun journey, you know? Love it, love it. And so you went with a, like a contractor model. So do you still go with a contractor model today? Have you stuck with that model? Yeah, we're, we're, we we do offer both models, um, but we find our business is suited more toward the co- contractor model. Um, the Our, our uh, target market of trying to get business from real estate agents is suited to the contractor model because typically they're the same model or either a commission on the agent or a debit credit agent, um, which is essentially how our salary brokers work as well. We, if we do offer those roles, they're, they're on like a debit credit, which is similar to the real estate industry. Um, I feel there's no right or wrong model for the mortgage industry, because this is a um, hot topic at the moment. You know, I feel there is a lot of, benefits to being a salaried model um don't get me wrong there's been times where i I feel the frustration of a contractor model and wish we had a a salaried model um you know there is you know the potential yes for more margin in that model plus also a bit more control you can enforce a process standardize your service um you know there's a lot of lot of benefits for for that model Um, but now we're we're at a a point and i guess a a size and have a big enough business to start standardizing and enforcing those things, even in our contractor approach. Um, but yeah, I, I, we even though we offer both now, we ninety percent of the people we hire still sort of go down that contractor model, just because the individuals that I feel that we want to hire that are suited towards our brand are then naturally suited toward that uh, that model as well. Yeah, and so you know. In that, do you have a sort of when you're looking for a potential personality or type of person, do you have somebody in mind, like a profile in mind that fits that sure financial um, model? Um, Yes and no. I guess it's just about are they personable? So now I feel like the modern day broker has so much work to do that it's hard to be good at all the things that is required in the end-to-end process. So most of the modern day broking businesses have broken down the the end-to-end process um, so that the broker is only really doing the relationship management side of things, um, which is what we basically look for. We look for relationship managers. We look for, um, you know, people that can build referral relationships, the real estate agents, people that can build long-term relationships um, with individuals and I'm not talking salespeople. I'm just talking personable people. You know, we don't, we don't, um, typically we've never really hired people with experience. We prefer 
people with no experience actually. And I'm talking with actually typically probably I'd say over 90% of the people we've hired haven't even got financial services experience. Um, you know, we've had uh, we've had plumbers, um, uh, PTs, um, maybe, you know, someone in accounting would, would be um, uh, come up here and there, um, you know, but all all types of different industries, um, as long as they are personable, driven, committed. Um, in an interview, we want to ask the right questions to see that they're, you know, what's actually inspiring their decision, you mm-hmm. know, if someone, I feel like a lot of people hear all this stuff online or over the news about, you know, the trial commission and um, what you can earn as a broker, but typically the average broker doesn't actually earn that much money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can only earn a, a significant income as a broker if you really work hard and, and and you know, hit the lights out in terms of um, your work ethic and, and results, um, which is something that, you know, you, you need to figure out an interview, what's what's drawing them to the, to the industry. And what answers do you look for in that when you're asking those questions? What are the things that are, what are those triggers in the answers that you're looking for? The same things that probably drove me to the industry, right? So I have a passion for property. I really connected to my broker in that property journey. Um, I feel that we've hired some people that have um, joined the business off the back of being a a client of ours. Uh, Yeah, they, they, they might have been working in in IT sales or working in investment banking or working in some other industry, and they they saw the end to end process. They valued how the relationship um, was managed throughout the process, and they enjoy Australians love property. You know, it's like the Aussie dream to buy a property, right? And when they can connect to someone that um, you know is quite emotional and excited about the process as they are, um, you know, they can they can appreciate that relationship and it's almost inspiring to then feel like, wow, I wonder what they're doing over there in that business at Shaw Financial. They're doing this all the time. That sounds really rewarding, you know, mm-hmm. helping people buy their dream homes and, and um, you know, creating wealth long-term and using the equity to maybe go again and, and buy an investment property or a holiday home or put money in your super, things like that. These conversations, you can see some people really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And in an interview, if someone will allude to those type of topics. They'll say, they'll say look, I really enjoyed my process, um, the house hunting process and my, my loan application process with the short financial or, you know, I, I've got a passion for property and I've always been curious to try and create wealth through property and I've met multiple brokers over the years and feel like I could do this better than they can. You know, mm. that's, a, that's a typical typical sort of scenario of how someone feels sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So what would be a red flag with the answer to that question? Someone just talking about the commissions. Um, someone talking about the trial, someone talking about, um, I'm, I'm nervous what I'm going to say here just in case I, I throw someone under the bus, but um, work-life balance from, from day one, like if that yes, there is a work-life balance, but you can't join the industry and, and start your business with a work-life balance. You know, the, the work-life balance comes later. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to be committed to work, you know, potentially six days a week at, at the start. Yeah. Um, I had a chuckle. Uh, Andrew Stevens interviewed John si- um, James Simons the other day, and um, James' comment was that is if you're looking for that work-life balance, if you're not prepared to put in and work hard, you're in the wrong industry, right? He, he was pretty blunt in his yeah. in his his assessment of that, which uh, you, you know, you, as, as a broker, uh, I, I can relate to. As a broker, as you know, uh, you know, to my point, what I loved about my broker when I first bought my first home was you need to be available on your mobile 24-7. You know, if you go MIA for 24 hours, you know, get back to a, 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 a customer or a client, you can, you know, lose that relationship because that's that's what the, you're there for. Hmm. Yeah, exactly right. There's, you know, even back in the recruitment days, you know, going back to this sort of year 2000, you know, part-time brokers just don't work for that exact right. reason, right? Because you need to be available. It's not something that... You know, I don't know how people do it as a side hustle and sort of, you know, you need to be available. You need to be there to to service your clients. It's a deadline-driven business. Mm. Um, and again, it's um, what makes it really enjoyable, right? And again, you've got to have that passion, as you mentioned. Which is a lot of people, a lot of people do join the industry with that, um, that 
philosophy or that, 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 that idea in the sense that they do want to work part time and they're thinking that they can, you know, just work three days a week whilst playing golf or slowing down into retirement. You, you just maybe 15 years ago that that concept could have worked. But today, if you join the industry, you know, you need you, you need at least five days a week. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, so that's the you know, sort of the people and that sort of um, let's touch on the culture because I know, you know, the culture of sort of that, you know, one team, one dream that you spoke about in the early days of the business. How has that culture sort of evolved as you've grown? I think you're about 55 people in the business now. Mm. And, and as you grow, it, it becomes tougher to maintain that sort of culture. How have you found that journey and, um, you know, talk to me a bit about culture in your business. I feel we've, we've been blessed to maintain that culture, um, you know, the, the, the whole way through. Um, I think as as um, figureheads in the business, myself and Alex, you know, as, as leaders in the business, you also need to make sure you, you're practising what you preach. And so, you know, Alex or myself would, would take the time um, and help anyone with anything, you know, we, we'll always make sure that, we have an open door policy and we're, we're, we're there to help. Um, if we ever catch wind or notice, you know, someone not, you know, having that one team, one dream mentality or, or um, you know, not being a sharing is caring type type attitude, we we would address it. We have to address it every time. Um, it's not like we have to address it often because I feel that, like I said, it we, we have created that um that culture and that attitude and that ethos from day one so it is instantly frowned upon if you're doing something wrong you know not just by the owners of the business but by your peers because the the best way that we like to sort of um uh reinstate the message is that you know at some point in time someone you know once had to teach you all this and at one point you were really um needy and, and, and appreciative of someone helping you to to do the basics and learn the basics, you know, now be that person in return that's that's taking time out of their day to help you with those basics and mm. and help you, you know, um, help them be that person that you now are, you know. Um, and what we actually find is that a lot of our senior brokers actually love, um, um, you know, sharing is caring and taking the time out of their day and and um, spending time with the team and. and in teaching what they've learned in their journey and we do it in a, in a structured way so you know we try not just have brokers like yes there's the, the the questions at the desk here and there but we try and um you know be a bit more efficient about it and break up the seniors to do um training let's say once a, a fortnight or, or yeah maybe once a month on different on different topics um and whilst half of that session might be topics that they suggested the other half might just be Q and A on things that those junior brokers want to ask the senior brokers, and they're really actually sometimes basic things. And the seniors sometimes forget that how important those basics are, and they take for granted what they've learned along their journey. Mm. Uh, and even though we have, you know, as a business, you know, we got a bit over thirty brokers, and we all, you, know, you could say, have a standardized similar process. And, you know, we, we're targeting real estate agents and we've got things that we do across the board with all our agents, no matter what broker um, you use. Each broker in the business still has their own way of doing things. And if one of our junior brokers spoke to the top 10 guys about a certain, um, you know, way of, you know, I guess, building their business, they'll get 10 different age, uh, answers. Like they've all got 10 different strategies and there's um, words of wisdom in each one of them. Yeah, exactly right. And and because what would work for one person may not work for another, right? Because it's, Spot on. you know, I, I say it's like a, an artist who sings a song, right? So if they mm -hmm. sing it and they might have sung it a thousand times, but it sounds authentic because it's them and it's the way that they do it. And I think it's the same with brokers. So it might be an approach, one approach to a real estate agent may be different. Like one mm -hmm. might like to you know have a coffee meeting and then go and present we all find mm. be really direct and send an instagram message and you know just ask right but that suits their personality and both may get similar results right but it's yeah. just two totally different ways of handling the relationship 
So I want to move on to, because one of the things that you, you mentioned um, sort of offline is the importance of embracing technology. So do you want to talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you've done in your business to really embrace technology? So I guess this goes back to that comment also about being stubborn in the sense that we've you've got to be prepared to fail in business, obviously, mm -hmm. right? And we've tried and failed with so many initiatives and and technology is is a big example of that. You know, we've we've swapped CRMs now three times, we've changed our process several times. Um, and you have to constantly change your process because of techno technological change. Um, you know, I think that, you know, once again, something that you and I, Ross, were talking about is taking a step step back out of business sometimes um, and just focusing on working on the business. And that's a, it needs to be a full day offsite, you know, where you actually review um, how you're doing things and how actually sometimes ridiculously inefficient some of these things you're doing may be. Uh, you know, for example, a simple example would be we were, you know, only up until a few years ago using PDF um, client briefs, collecting all our information off clients in a PDF into the email and then entering that into a CRM system and then using a separate CRM from our application system and entering all that information again into a, another application system. So we were double entering the data twice. Like it was, it was just extremely inefficient. And from a marketing point of view, you know, for all the efforts we spend in digital, it's such a wasted amount of efforts. Um, if you've got all this information sitting in client briefs in brokers' inboxes that you can't have smart marketing for, uh, what I mean is, is the data that you could target for, let's say, bridging loans, self-employed individuals, or upsizes, downsizes, first home buyers, whatever it may be, is a lead. You know that would be in your CRM. You're missing out on. So, um, and it's amazing that still today we've come a long way in the industry in terms of technology, but it's amazing that still today a lot of brokers aren't even embracing and adopting the technology in front of them um, and we were guilty of it ourselves you know what your aggregator actually has um, and what your aggregator offers you a lot of people i'd say brokers 90 uh, percent of the industry wouldn't be using their aggregation software to its full capabilities um, you know uh, and most industry wouldn't even be using the data in their own business to their full um, capabilities and, and seeing holes in their business um, you know, that's something else I, I learned from a, a, a friendly competitor, um, Darren Little at SmartMove. He's big on um, analyzing data to recognize inefficiencies. And we're talking simple data, you know, um, just the, the banks will give you um, a lot of data on application quality and submission quality and where you're coming unstuck. And if there's a consistent problem on, you know, hey, this error keeps coming up, we'll address it. Don't just do the same thing and hope for the best, you know? Mm, yeah, I love that. I, um, now, Otto said to me, you know, it's radical accountability, he calls it in his business, right? Where uh, if there's an error, it's not the bank's fault or it's, it's you know, take that accountability on yourself and what mm. can we do to ensure that that doesn't happen again? And I think you mentioned Darren Little and I know with his team and his offshore processing and, um, they've done that really, really well. So good. Mm. good. So in terms of um, from that sort of technology point of view, again, you've been through a number of CRMs. What would be some of the learnings and some of the tips you'd have around embracing technology for, for the brokers out there? Well, uh, we years ago, well, probably going back maybe six years ago, we, we started to build our own technology and we um, sort of, can the whole idea and, and, and decided it, it's not worth the money we we're going to spend be, because of uh, the simple fact that how much we would spend on something for our business compared to what a uh, industry provider for an off-the-shelf type serum would spend on something for the whole industry it was obviously chalk and cheese um, so we went with an off-the-shelf um, serum system at the time um, we've you, you need a lot of these industry uh, CRM systems and or aggregation platforms, like I, like I said, you've got to constantly make sure you're paying attention to the updates and getting your team and your or your, your your management team or your, your, yourself, if you are the manager, to be across what that 
technology can actually do. And to your point, what have I learned? Like some of the uh, great stuff we're doing today, we could have done years ago. Um, some of the, the the basic features and functions and capabilities of the software that we already um, were using you know, weren't implemented. Um, and you know, really understanding the technology that you use. And I, I guess that's because going back to the point of uh, brokers get caught in the day to day. You've got your phone ringing, you've got clients needing you, and everything needs to be done yesterday. Someone's looking at a property this weekend, going to auction or something like that. And there's always this sense of urgency with the, the client facing side of the business. And that's why it's so important that business owners, in, in particular, need to have resources and team um, team members focused on purely working on the business and improving the business. And that might mean spending a whole day in a room with a software provider to understand what that software is actually capable of doing. Mm. I think it's important that those people that manage the business have some sort of broking experience. We had staff members um, over the years who have managed the business that never actually dealt with customers on the front line. Um, We've got a big um, philosophy of hiring within and letting people grow within the business in different roles because that front line of experience, of experience and dealing with um, customers and dealing with the application process end-to-end really is so crucial then when managing the business and you know learning what, what technology is capable of, for example, then you can know when to em- implement that technology at what point of the process and how we can use it. You know? um, but I guess, look, biggest learning curves would, would be that. So learning, making sure you actually know what's in front of you um, don't bite off more than you can chew and think that you're bigger than you really are in the sense of building technology. We are building some technology now, ironically, but you know we're not building it to replace uh, a CRM system or replace our aggregation platform. We're building it just to uh, be a data warehouse purely for, I think, the long-term future requirements of a, of a, of a uh, business with multiple brokers. Um, I think the industry is going to be very data-driven and co- consumers are going to... Um, interact more and more online and there's going to be constant different industry technology solutions you could technological solutions i should say available which you need to be able to easily just quickly integrate to your business Mm -hmm. Um, so by having something that which what we call our data warehouse which you can just plug in these these new uh, fancy pieces of technology that can help your process um, that's going to be a, a big advantage right um and things like simple things like quickly or or um even some of these uh rate review sort of um softwares for, for doing pricings on loan books and things like that um yeah, even credit technology um system in the sense that if you want uh, a system to be able to give a indicative 15 minute approval on your clients that that'll be off the shelf for most people and that's going to be such a, a value add for your consumer Oh, definitely. You know, it's so important in terms of, um, you know, be able to embrace. And if you look at, you know, a number of those things that you've just mentioned, um, you know, like quickly, for example, the, this and the rate of change that these technologies are coming up. So the aim of your sort of data um, platform is to be able to plug in a lot of these things through APIs. So it's all in a central location. Is that the sort of the purpose of it? Spot on. So I think um, aggregators have their own agenda. They're not going to, you know, um, make their um, platform with all your information and data readily available to plug in, you know, to um, all the various platforms, third-party platforms you might want to use, nor will you be able to get that system to do what you want it to do, right? So I think it's really crucial that people, if you're, you know, wanting to have a... um, decent sized business. I think it's going to be the the, uh, future of the industry. So it's going to be hard for a lot of one man bands out there. I I think with the technology that's going to disrupt the industry. So if you can't afford to do this, but um, I think having a a platform of data warehouse, a system that has all your information with an open API that that can um, plug into marketing automation sort of um, platforms, you know, things like HubSpot, um, you know, uh, uh, these um, active pipe and all these uh, newsletter um, sort of platforms. Um, yes, your CRM, your application software, even 
web forms or, uh, or tools you might use to create um, lead funnels online that can plug straight into this warehouse that then you can really analyze conversion and figure out uh, performance on your, your best marketing initiatives. You can't do that off the back of an aggregation platform or, or a, um, a CRM system. Sure, maybe a really fancy CRM system like Salesforce, but the, the amount that you're going to spend on customizing something like Salesforce, you may as well do it yourself. Yeah, love it, love it. All right, last um, but not least, you know, and again, you've, you've touched on it a number of times in terms of, you know, how you go about developing your staff and how you create value in terms of why your retention of brokers is so good. So one of the points you've mentioned is on that importance of education. So do you want to just, yeah, spend a couple of minutes on, you know, why that's so important to you in the business? So, well, there's two sides of that education. Like I said, we're really big on education with our consumers. Um, we try and make as, as much interesting content as possible. Um, we always like using third parties for, for the content. So, you know, podcasts with other individuals or um, in our newsletters, quoting, you know, uh, the AFR or CoreLogic or RP data or facts and figures and, and articles or references. Love always following the bank economists and quoting them. So um, that type of education to our, our consumers is crucial. Um, but education to the brokers, we want our brokers to be, um, like I said, rely, uh, relationship managers who our consumers value them for their advice, you know, the advice and the service. Now, for them to be able to give a good advice, they need to be educated themselves, right? So, and some of those things goes above and beyond the, the probably the job description of a typical broker. So what I mean by that is, you know, last Wednesday we we did a um a tax training session with all the sort of twelve more recently established brokers, the junior brokers in the team. Um, and whilst it's not in our job description to talk about you know tax, nor is it um are we legally meant to be giving any form of tax advice. It's it's good for our brokers to understand, you know, how capital gains tax discounts and exemptions works, um, how the six years uh, rule works, how um, how you know debt recycling and you know optimizing your negative gearing benefits, minimizing your personal debt, you know, all these things that their more affluent self-employed clientele would um, need to consider, or a comment might um, come up in a conversation. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, over the years when I've spoken to, um, you know, my, um, I'm careful about what I say, but um, if I've spoken to contacts at the bank and they just clearly don't even understand what I'm trying to do or I'm putting a request in and it's just not being understood, it's so frustrating because they don't actually understand the, what I'm trying to achieve. But I feel for our brokers, once they understand their clients' needs and objectives to the um to the full extent in terms of especially tax consequences, wow, that's a valuable relationship for them. You know, wow, they can really see and feel and appreciate that this broker gets them and gets what 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 their goals are. Oh, yeah, amazing. Coming from that property investment background, yeah, that is so sort of important, right? So in terms of, uh, you know, it's something simple as the ownership from a land tax perspective, right? People can double their land tax threshold uh, by buying in a single personal name um, in the husband and then the wife. Um, and again, it's something simple that would save a client a hell of a lot of money. And then they mm. can go and obviously check that point. But that's just one example. Well, the, and an example like that, you they might not have come to you saying that this is what they're trying to achieve. But you can plant the seed for that conversation with their accountant, and you can you can suggest, have you looked into this? Or you know, the the are you, the one about um, approaching retirement, and they can use a portion of their sale proceeds on their primary residence to put into their super. You know, these are topics that people, you know, aren't being um, educated on easily on a daily basis. No one's really going to them with these topics. Accountants, now you know. Forgive me for saying this, but they're very reactive, not proactive. Um, and so no one's going above and beyond or out of their way to let these um, consumers know these 
crucial things that they need to know. So if you can plant a seed, even though it's not your job description, plant the seed for them to go ask their accountant, relationship for life. Exactly. And this is the type of value that we're talking about, value beyond the transaction. And mm. um, I love that you sort of embrace that education because, uh, you know, our ultimate goal is to, you know, the reason that your why and because of your passion about wealth creation. But the way that we do that is we become experts in it ourselves. How do we become experts in it ourselves? We, one, we, um, we provide that education within our business. And when we get them to be hubs of education for the clients through great content, which mm. then creates that circle of, um, you know, a brand awareness that, hey, Shaw Financial is of a different ilk, right? It's of an mm. upper level uh, and can, you can provide, which is obviously why you've been so successful doing up to $300 million a month in business. Um, you're obviously doing something right. So, yeah, love that. Um, time's sort of up, but, you know, I ask, you know, a question to everyone in terms of if someone was looking to really scale and, and take their business to the next level, what would be your sort of one piece of advice for them? What would be your sort of top tip? Well, um, have they tested their, their you know, um, their strategy for doing so so i feel like a lot of people these days are using the internet to really try and um, radically grow and scale a business but a lot of online marketing initiatives hit the saturation point um, a lot of online marketing initiatives don't have anywhere near um, any sense of roi <laughs> you know um, so whilst you can pay for building a brand and pay for um, you know, getting a whole lot of likes or reach or whatnot online, you know, is it actually a sustainable model is the number one question. I think that that um, question is something that is a problem in every industry at the moment. Um, people have gone away from thinking about, you know, profit and um, have, have stayed away from actually uh, thinking about creating a sustainable long-term business and just trying to grow a big business. But then you've got to, think what's it all about if it's not a sustainable long-term profitable business and sure there might be a you know two to three year um, trajectory for a break-even point where profit may be on the cards but um, I think a lot of people are, are putting a big amount of time and effort into concepts that they haven't tested or haven't even figured out the, the you know break-even point as such. Yeah so putting money and I sort of call it you know, chasing shiny balls, you know, going to the next exactly. thing and saying, all right, just because it's working in, in that industry. And I guess to your point, your business has been built off the back of real estate agent relationships, right? So, mm -hmm. and, you know, recently you've gone more into the sort of the digital channels and the marketing sort of thing. So on that point, if you're someone looking to scale, do you focus on the relationships first or the marketing? Definitely the relationships. Yeah, the 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 marketing and, and whatnot you can you know pay for at any point in time almost. Um, the thing that you need to get right before that is the right people in your business um, to create the right relationships with your clients. Um, and then if you aren't focusing on obviously online too much for um, lead generation or, or business development, um, it's relationships with with referral partners. Um, Personally, I think that you know we're we're um, steering away from the whole sort of top-down approach of trying to get businesses on board with giving pools of data. I think the bottom-up approach really works for individuals. Um, you know, building a relationship with an individual um, who personally sees value in the individual in your business, um, rather than that individual being told to use you because their boss says so. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely relationships is crucial. Awesome. I mean, so much gold in that, um, Theo. It's it's you know been a pleasure to chat, and I think you know everyone, no matter what level of business is at, there's been something in that from everyone, whether it's the basic, um, you know, how to build relationship and educate and add value 
to scaling a business with you know contracting only business to building that culture and to working on technology technology and data and using that in your marketing i think there's so much that we've we've got out of that so yeah i just want to thank you really appreciate your time no worries thanks for having me ross awesome right this has been another episode of the billion dollar broker podcast if you want there's a number of ways you can interact with us one subscribe on your favorite podcast channel or check us out on youtube um secondly you uh can join our facebook group it's billion dollar broker for mortgage brokers and come on and join there there's lots of free content for you um thirdly jump online to billiondollarbroker.com.au and book an appointment and if you want to work with us and have a look at some of our coaching programs thanks again and we'll see you next time